0: Good morning, afternoon or evening for wherever you may be joining us from today. Welcome to the Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. to be in your presence. Oh my Jesus is worthy of praise and Jesus is here by the power of his spirit and if you're visiting with us this morning, it's a privilege for me to be here and be with my friends, the O'Donnells, and with all of you here at Life Church. And what a beautiful, wonderful, safe, and accepting place this is. And no matter where you've come from or what your background is, this is a church that loves everybody and ministers to everybody. And I'm so grateful for uh, this occasion. And it's a high honor to be here today. And especially to be with Pastor Steve and Sherry and Luke and Grace. and I'm so thankful for them. And this sounds really corny, but we've been friends for years, so you forgive me. I am so proud of them. And so thankful to God for their ministry. And I'm so happy for you that they are your pastor. Uh, Steve and Sherry are two of the greatest Christians I know on this planet. And you are so blessed to have them as your leaders. You are served by one incredibly stellar first family here in this church. And you're so blessed. Amen. Uh Go ahead and be seated. We're going to walk our way through a little passage of scripture this morning. So I'll just let you sit down. And uh, it is a joy to be with you, and um, I just want to get right to the word of the Lord this morning. Uh, This is uh, a passage in one of the Gospels, and uh, it's Luke who tells us this story. Two of the Gospel writers, only two out of the four, refer to this story, and Luke gives us the details. And uh, it's it's a beautiful passage. Um, Let me just read a couple verses to get us started. This is Luke 24, verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And as they, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And this is the cool thing. Their eyes were holding. It means they were kind of blind to this. Uh, their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Now, we, we suspect that that was maybe divine, that God kind of blinded their eyes to the fact of who uh, he was at that moment, uh, but it could have just been that Jesus didn't have a Facebook page. This is before the days of social media, so uh, like Jesus' face wasn't plastered anywhere, so if they hadn't been up close to him, they might have not known what he looked like. Um, but these were disciples, so it's likely they did know what he looked like, but somehow God just blinded their eyes. Now, this is an amazing story because this is actually the third day after the crucifixion of Jesus. And uh, as you can expect, the disciples are demoralized. Uh, Their world has just been shattered. And most of them are in hiding. Uh, For them, their hopes and their dreams have been viciously nailed to a cruel cross. and, And everything they believed in has been buried forever in a dark tomb. And you can criticize them if you want to and say they should have had more faith. But see, they stood there at the crucifixion that we sang about this morning, the old rugged cross. And we sing about it, and it's precious to us. But can I tell you, the day it happened, it wasn't precious to anybody, it was terrifying. And uh, Jesus, who had been so kind and so loving, so accepting, and he'd healed people and he'd ministered to people and he'd fed the hungry and done all of this stuff. Uh, For them, it all died when they saw Jesus die. And for them, uh, it all ended. When that huge stone was rolled in front of that tomb, it was a grave that mocked their faith. And for them, it's three days later, there's nothing left to live for in everything they ever believed in. Is Absolutely gone. And so these two disciples, Luke tells us the story in detail. These two disciples, they decide, you know what? We did our little bit for king and country. Uh, We were faithful. We followed. We believed. We tried. But there's not a bit of sense in lingering in Jerusalem anymore. So they head home to their little village of Emmaus, which is about eight miles northwest of Jerusalem. And you know how it goes. As they walk together, they begin to talk. And as they talk, they get more and more discouraged as they pour their heart out to each other. Uh, Because for them, nothing is right in the world. For them, all hope is gone. Everything's lost. There's no reason to smile. There's no reason to believe anymore. And then this stranger walks up to them, and uh, we know who he is, but they have no clue. He walks up to them on this winding road to their little village, and uh, they don't have any idea who he is. His identity is completely hidden, and uh, so so then this happens. Look, look at this, verse 17. He said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have uh, one to another as you walk? And he said, I can see you're sad, and then one of them, we know who his name is, uh, his name is Cleopas, he answers and says to this total stranger, are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? And, and really, like for, for real, you don't know the things that are come to pass there in these days? And then with this touch of heavenly humor, this stranger says to them, um, what things? As if he wouldn't have known, you know? And, and, uh, and they said unto him, and they're just pouring their hearts out here. You haven't heard concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. You haven't heard how the chief priests, our own chief priests and our own rulers, we can hardly believe they did it, but they delivered him to be condemned to death and they've crucified him. And, and so they're just pouring out their heart in this jumble of disappointment and heartache. And, and they say to this stranger, Uh, They don't know who he is. They say, you haven't heard. Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet like nobody else. His words rang with an authority that we had never, ever heard before. And he did so many mighty miracles among the people. and, and, And because of that, we pinned all of our hopes on this guy named Jesus. He gave us reason to live. But now he's gone. And we can hardly believe that our own Jewish Sanhedrin handed him over to be crucified by the Roman government. So, Mr. Stranger, it is over. It's done. It's finished. Uh, we, we tried to believe. We tried to hope. We tried it out. But, but we can hardly believe it. But Jesus is gone. He's dead. And uh, we're going home. We're done. It's over. They use this word, uh, the, the last third of your Bible, the New Testament, roughly the last third, it came to us to English, it came to us through the Greek language, and the Greek language is, is a pretty descriptive language. Like in English, we've got one word for love. I love my dog, I love my cat, I love, well, nobody loves a cat, but uh, I love my dog, I love my cat, I love pizza, I love my wife, I love my kids, you know, so, so we've got one word for love, but Greek has like four words for love, and three of those appear in the scriptures. And so it's a very descriptive language. And they use this word. It sounds big and fancy to us, but it wasn't big and fancy to them. It's just a a normal Greek word. And when they say to this stranger, they say, Jesus, we can't believe it. He was handed over. The the Greek word is uh, paradidomi. It's a a really uh, unique word. It's a judicial word. It comes from the court system and the prison system. And it means to deliver somebody into the hands of another, uh, to put a person in custody, to be judged or even to hand them into prison or hand them over to be judged or condemned or punished. But in the scripture, as they use it, most often that that Greek word, paradidomi, it has the sense of betrayal or somebody doing something treacherously to you. And and in light of what happened to Jesus, you would expect the gospel writers to use that word pretty often, and they do. Between the four gospels, 70 times they use that word uh, to be handed over treacherously. And then Jesus himself, when he talked to his disciples, and we have those records in the Gospels, he used that word many times. um, Talking about Judas, the disciple who set in motion all the events that led to his crucifixion. Uh, Let let me just kind of hit some highlights here. This is Mark 14, verse 10. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, he went to the chief priest to betray That's that word. He handed Jesus over to the chief priest. When they heard it, they were glad. They promised to give Judas money. And then Judas, after that, he sought how he might conveniently find a moment to betray. There's the word again. He he looked for a moment, treacherously, deceitfully, that he could hand Jesus over uh, to the chief priest. Verse 18, as they sat and did eat, Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, Verily I say unto you, one of you that's eating with me at the table right now, You're going to betray me. That's that word. You're going to hand me over treacherously, deceitfully. You're going to pretend to be my friend, but you're going to really be my enemy. Uh, John uh, uses the word. John 18, Judas also, which betrayed him. There's the word. He handed him over deceitfully. He knew the place Jesus was going to pray because Jesus often went there. Luke 22, Jesus, when Judas walks into the garden of Gethsemane on the night before Jesus dies, Judas walks up to him and kisses him, the the kiss of greeting, and Jesus looks at him and said, Judas, seriously, you're going to hand me over with a kiss? You're going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, this wasn't a surprise to Jesus, and really it shouldn't have been a surprise to his disciples because he told them over and over, this is going to happen. Uh, look, look at this. This is earlier, Matthew 20. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man shall be betrayed. There's the word again. He's going to be handed over to the chief priests, of the scribes. They'll condemn him to death, and then they will hand him over. They'll deliver him. They'll betray him to the Gentiles, to mock. Same word, to scourge, to crucify. And then Jesus said, and the third day, he'll rise again. Now, somehow the disciples didn't get any of that. I think they believed so much in Jesus and they hoped so much in him that they just didn't want to believe that anybody could treat somebody so good, so pure, so kind that anybody could treat him like that. But they did. Now, unlike this stranger, apparently, these two disciples who were walking home to Emmaus, uh, they did see Jesus handed over. They did see him betrayed. They did see him treacherously used and abused and misused. It was a cruel mockery of justice. It had everything that was bad. Political maneuvering and sham trials and false witnesses and hateful jurors and a predetermined sentence of death. And that word keeps appearing over and over in the gospel accounts. Mark 15, straightway in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. Everybody's getting involved. And they bound Jesus and carried him away And delivered him to Pilate. That's that word, paradidomy. They they just handed him over like a sack of potatoes that they didn't care about. They just tossed Jesus over to Pilate. Verse 15. So Pilate, willing to content the people, this angry mob, he released Barabbas, a known murderer, to them, and he handed Jesus over. He betrayed him. He delivered Jesus when he had whipped him, scourged him to be crucified. So here's the story in the Gospels. It looks pathetic it looks like all sense of justice has been turned upside down and it looks like um, evil has won the day. Here's what happens. Jesus is handed over to the chief priest by Judas and then the chief priests hand him over to the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin hand him over to Pilate and Pilate hands him over to King Herod and Herod said, I can't do anything and he hands him back to Pilate and then Pilate hands him over to the angry mob. And Jesus is handed over to Roman soldiers and crucified. And here's basically what those two disciples who are so demoralized and discouraged, here's basically what they say. When we saw Jesus, Jesus, when we saw him handed over, it was like somebody reached inside our heart and took every bit of hope and joy and light and truth and goodness. It was like when we saw him handed over, all of our hope was just handed over to and we are done, Mr. Stranger. We tried, we believed, we, we, we followed, but we're done. There's nothing left to live for. So we are going home. Thank you very much. We have given up. Look, look at them pouring out their heart. Verse 21, this is back in Luke 24. We trusted that it would have been him that would have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, it's not like we cut and ran the very first moment there was trouble. We waited for three days. We, we believe, we tried to hope. Today is the third day since these things were done. They are so discouraged. They have given up. And then they tell this stranger, they don't know who he is. They tell him this. Yes, and certain women of our company, they made us astonished this morning. We were still in Jerusalem this morning. And this morning on the third day, these women went early to the grave and they found not his body. And then they came back to us, all the disciples that were hiding for fear of our lives. And they said uh, they'd seen a vision of angels and the angel said he's alive. And then some of us, we went to the sepulcher and we found it just like the women had said. There was no body. We didn't see him. Now, they have been so damaged and so hurt. Their faith has been so shaken that even when these women go to the tomb and the angels appear and the angels say, he's not here, and they come back and say, there's no body there. You know what they think? Somebody took him. Somebody's playing another cruel joke. Somebody, they're doing this just to be cruel, just to be nasty to us. They're, They're trying to destroy our faith. They have nothing left. To believe in. They, they are literally destroyed. And to them, it's just like, yeah, women, you know, women, like they went to the tomb, they're all emotional, they think they saw an angel, they just want to believe, you know, those women. That's what they're thinking. You can criticize them if you want. You can get up on your high horse and say, well, they should have believed and they should have hoped and come on, guys, like he's risen, can't you see? But see, we have 2000 years of hindsight. We get to look in the rearview mirror. But if you would think with me, nothing hits you harder in life than when you lose your hope. When you lose your hope, it knocks the breath out of us. It's it's a punch in the gut. It steals our joy and saps our strength and it wounds our heart and it blinds our vision and it rocks our world and it just kind of steals our faith and we're just shaken. And that's exactly what happened to those two disciples who are walking home on the road to Emmaus. See, Can you imagine this? They left Jerusalem on the third day. Jesus had told everybody, you know, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. They are so discouraged that on the day that Jesus said, I'm going to rise, they said, nah, we can't wait. We're heading home. They didn't even wait till sunset. They're just going home. You'd think after the women came back from an empty tomb with a message from the angels and there was no body in the tomb, you would think they would have believed But before we get all up on our high horse and we judge them too harshly, maybe we can think back over your life or maybe even just the last week to a time when you got hit pretty hard in life and you feel like your hope is taken and your faith is shaken. And it's easy to feel alone in those times, just like those two did. I came to Life Church today to tell you in this morning service on this very special day That even when you feel alone and even when life has handed you a pile of hurt, somebody's walking with you that you don't know who it is, but he's still walking with you, just like he was with those two. (laughs) Hmm. My goodness. It's at that moment that's when the stranger can restrain himself no longer, and he just kind of lets them have it in a good way. He said, Oh, you are so thick headed. And so slow-hearted. Couldn't you just believe everything the prophets have been saying all these years? Don't you understand? Jesus had to go through these things. Can't you see it? His suffering was actually a pathway to his glory. His death was actually a pathway to his resurrection. And he's just kind of shaking him like, can't you see it? Don't you understand? And then the scripture says that this stranger began with the books of Moses... And he walked them through the writings of the prophets, all the Jewish prophets, all the Old Testament. And he points out, basically what he does is he points out Jesus on every page of their scriptures. He was always prophesied. This was always going to happen. And he starts like way back in the book of Genesis. And, you know, we don't have a record of that sermon. It got left out of the scripture. We have to guess. It would have been a better sermon than you're hearing this morning. But, but, But it was preached by Jesus himself, although they don't know who he is. And he starts in Genesis, and he said, don't you remember? Don't you remember that God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul? Don't you understand? That was Jesus back there at creation. He's God. And you remember Exodus? You remember the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that led them through? And that was God manifesting his presence. Don't you remember on Passover night, there was a lamb slain, and his blood was shed? and it was that blood that was put on the door of all the houses uh, in the slaves in Egypt, and the blood actually helped set them free. Don't you understand? That was picturing what Jesus just did, and he walks through the the whole Old Testament. You know, he goes through all the stories, and he goes through all the patriarchs, and he goes through all the prophets, and, 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 you know, he just stops. It's hard not to stop at all the good places, but you know, he just goes all the way through. He gets up to the prophetic books, and it's like, don't you remember Daniel's three buddies, uh, the three Hebrew boys, that pagan king tosses them into a fire and 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 then he calls all of his servants over it's like what in the world just happened we threw three boys bound into the fire and when i look into this fiery furnace where we thought they'd die there's three hebrew boys but there's a fourth person and they're walking around loose now what in the world is going on and jesus says they don't know it's jesus yet he said don't you understand That was Jesus walking with them in that fire because Jesus is God and he always had this plan to die. They can hardly see it. That would have been a pretty cool sermon. Now, here's here's how it ends. We're, We're almost there. Verse 28. They drew near to their village, whither they went, and the stranger acted like he would have gone further, but they constrained him. They, they, they begged him, please abide with us. We've enjoyed talking to you today. It's toward evening, the day's far spent. And so he goes into tarry with them and they sit down in their little kitchen, in their little humble house, in their little village of Emmaus, and they start to have lunch together. And the Bible says it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke and he gave it to them. And it's at that moment that their eyes are opened And they knew him. I don't know. I can't prove this. But I think this is what happened. He took that bread and he broke break it. He pulled it apart. And he passes it to them. And when he passes it to them, all of a sudden they see something they didn't notice before. This stranger who's been talking to them all afternoon has mortal wounds in his hands. Wounds that would have bled out in minutes in any normal person. And he's got these gaping wounds, but he hasn't bled out. In fact, he's talked with them and walked with them all afternoon. And when they see his hands, all of a sudden it hits them, and they realize who it is that has been walking with them all afternoon. And then he vanishes out of their sight. And then they vanish too because they're so excited. They jump up and they start running back to Jerusalem. And they said to one another, and they're they're talking. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody while you're running? It's not pleasant. Especially never mind, I'm not gonna talk about that. Some of you may be able to run and talk. When I run and talk, it's <gasps> it's not pleasant. And they said to one another, and I will not burden you with how it probably sounded but they're talking they're huffing and puffing and they're running as fast as they can didn't our heart burn within us didn't you feel that when he was talking to us today while he talked with us by the way and while he opened us to the scripture they rose up the same hour they ran back to jerusalem uh they they found the other 11 gathered together and them that were with them and here's what the it's changed now the story's different now. Everybody knows now. And here's what the disciples are saying. The Lord is risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon Peter. And then these two get in on the act, and they tell everybody, this is what happened to us this afternoon. And, and they tell how when Jesus broke bread, that's when they recognized him. It's, it's amazing. They thought all hope was gone. And they didn't realize Hope had been walking with them all afternoon, walking with them every single step. They they didn't even even realize it. And then Hope sat down at their kitchen table. It was when Jesus broke the bread, just like he did at the last supper, that their eyes were suddenly opened to the revelation of who he was and who was with them. It's amazing. And only then, When they get back to Jerusalem and everybody's sharing and it's all known now that Jesus actually rose from the grave and he's alive. It's it's known now. Only then does it finally dawn on all of the disciples, including these two. Wait a minute. This was Jesus' plan all along. We got it wrong. All we could see is what our eyes told us. All we could see is what our feelings told us. Here's what we saw. Judas handed him over to the chief priests. And the chief priests handed him over to the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin handed him over to Pilate. And Pilate handed him over to be crucified. That's all we could see. But then on the cross, they started to remember. Just before Jesus breathed his last, here's what he said. John 19. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, this is the, the one we always preached. it is finished, but it keeps on going. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. That's the same word. Jesus delivered over his spirit. Everybody thought Jesus was being handed over like a martyr, like a murder victim, like he he was just being mistreated. He was large and in charge the entire time. He was going to the cross so he could hand over his life as redemption for us to pay for our sin. They didn't take his life. He gave his life. They, they, They didn't take his life from him. and No, he was angling for that the whole time. Jesus' life wasn't taken by the chief priests or the Sanhedrin or Pilate or the Roman soldiers. They only handed him over temporarily. Jesus was in charge the entire time. Here's the thing about Calvary that we sang about this morning, the old rugged cross. That was the biggest ambush in human history. The devil thought he had Jesus under his thumb. The devil thought it was going to be all over for humanity, and the devil thought we were going to be forever enslaved in sin and spend eternity in punishment. The devil thought he had it, but that was an ambush. He walked right into a trap. It looked like death, but it was really life. It looked like weakness, but it was really strength. It looked like defeat, but it was really victory. It looked like a grave, but it was really resurrection. And Jesus was in control the entire time. It was his plan all along. And the devil fell for it in your face, Satan. Hmm. Jesus had said it. They should have caught it. John 10. This is this is months before his crucifixion. No man takes my life from me, I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I've got the power to take it back up again. Jesus had said this way early in his ministry, John 2, 19. Jesus looked at a group of people. He said, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. What are you saying, Jesus? I'm saying, hell, you do your worst, but I can turn any defeat into a victory. Hell, you try to take my people down, but I can step in at the last minute, and I can turn it around, and it's going to be fine. My goodness. You, you remember Jesus' friends? Uh, three siblings. They, they all lived together. Uh, they were all dysfunctional, so they were all unmarried. Um, and if you're unmarried, I'm not saying you're dysfunctional, so, so just give me some grace here. Okay. But they they lived together. Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You remember them? They lived in a little town near Jerusalem called Bethany. And Jesus often stayed there with his disciples. And so they they were good friends. And and Mary was the the workaholic type, or Martha was the workaholic type A. She was always in the kitchen, always preparing a meal, always working, and, and always making everybody else feel guilty that she was in the kitchen working, you know. And Mary was the spiritual one. She was always like in the living room at the feet of Jesus listening to a Bible study. And so Martha's in the kitchen rattling pots around and trying to give a hint to Mary and Mary's not taking it. And no wonder Lazarus decided to just check out early and he died. (laughs) But then Jesus raised him from the dead. So he's right back in the mess, you know, but anyway, when Lazarus died, it really hit them. It rocked their world and they lost their faith for a moment. And uh, when Jesus shows up, he doesn't come to the funeral. He shows up four days late. And Martha runs out to him at the end of their yard and says, John 11, 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's an accusing tone, but it's not because she hates Jesus. It's because she's hurt. She said, Jesus, you left us alone at our most critical moment. You didn't show up when you were supposed to. You left us alone. And Jesus basically looks back at her and said, no, Martha, Martha, with me, you're never alone. Look at, look at this. Jesus said unto her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead. Martha, Martha, listen. Though the worst case scenario has unfolded, that doesn't mean it's the end. Even though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now let me finish this morning. After his crucifixion, Jesus, actually the Bible tells us that he goes into the grave. He goes into the tomb, into the grave, the realm of the dead. Because in the Old Testament, the realm of the dead was controlled by the devil because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So the devil had control over the realm of of the dead. And the Bible says, Jesus, in in 1 Peter, it says, Jesus went into the realm of the dead and he preached to the spirits which were in prison. He declared his victory over death and hell and the grave. And that would have been another great sermon. Um, And we don't have that. And then Jesus does something that nobody saw coming, especially the devil. In the realm of death, somewhere on that weekend after Jesus dies, he goes into the realm of the dead and he declares his victory over death, hell, and the grave. And then he basically walks up to the devil and said, "Um, those keys to death, hell, and the grave, those keys that you've used to keep the human race entrapped and enslaved for all these thousands of years, those keys, those keys, hand them over. See, Jesus wasn't being handed over. He was planning to walk into the realm of our worst enemy, death, hell, and the grave, and take the keys back so... The Bible says in Revelation 1 verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. And you know those keys? I have the keys of hell and death. The devil doesn't have those anymore. So he can't lock you up anymore. I have the keys. The devil had held those keys for centuries, folks. Ever since the Garden of Eden. And Jesus took them back. Now the Bible tells us that the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. And you know how it is. That's our greatest enemy. We fear death more than anything else. We will do all kinds of things just to push death away. You know, we're scared of death. Jesus basically said to the devil, I'm going to destroy the worst enemy of my people first. If Jesus destroyed your worst enemy, your greatest enemy, 2,000 years ago, Folks, it's all downhill for him from there. If he destroyed your worst enemy first, he can handle anything that hell or life or situations or circumstance or your mistakes have handed you, he can handle it. It's not a problem. Music team, if you want to come back and get ready, we're going to come pray. I'm so excited to be here with you. But I just want to say this. There's one detail about this story I've read it, I've studied it, I've looked at uh, books and commentaries, and I've read it through in the Bible. There's one detail about those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And and in my reading, uh, nearly every commentator, nearly every student and theologian, nearly every preacher I've heard, um, and nearly every artist, artists that paint beautiful paintings of this scene, they've all basically, I, I can't find anybody, they've all missed this detail And yet, it's right there in Scripture, just as plain as the nose on your face. John 19, 25. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. There it is. Cleopas' wife was at the cross. So theologians and pastors and preachers and commentators and even artists, they imagine that scene as if it's two disciples, two men walking home to Emmaus. It's not. That was a husband and wife walking home to Emmaus. They had been together at the cross. That husband and wife had seen their hope dashed and their dreams die. And so now this husband and wife are walking home, and they're talking so discouraged and so despondent. And that's when Jesus walked up to them and started ministering to them. Now, Jesus had a busy weekend that weekend. He had to go into the realm of the dead, take the keys, and resurrect. It's like a busy weekend. And Jesus is so merciful that these people, they're walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking away from the resurrection. They're walking away from the greatest miracle in human history. When God intersected time and conquered death, they're walking away from that miracle. And even though they're walking in the wrong direction, Jesus catches up to them. And in his mercy, he spends all afternoon talking to them and ministering to them. And he turns their situation around. That was a husband and wife. Which begs the question, what do you talk about in your home? What do you talk about when you leave a service like this and you get in your car? What do you think about? What do you talk about? What do you take home with you? so often our self-talk is defeating and and we can walk out of some great things and everybody thinks we're happy and everybody thinks it's all together and everybody thinks we're fine but we know that what we face at home or what we face in our family, what we face in life what we battle with in our mind and our circumstance is pretty negative and pretty defeating and here's what I came to tell you today Life Church: Jesus would like to walk home with you today whatever house you're going to, whatever apartment building you're going to, wherever you may live and whatever your situation is, it doesn't even matter if you are the one that's turned your back on all hope and goodness and miracles and you're walking in the wrong direction, Jesus still would like to catch up with you today and walk home with you. And here's what I promise you. If you'll just let him touch your life, if he conquered your worst enemy, your greatest enemy 2,000 years ago, I promise you that whatever's going on in your life today, it's easy for him. It's not easy for you. But when Jesus catches up with you, even if you're going the wrong direction, he can turn it all around. Would you lift your hands in the wonderful presence of God that we feel here? And and in just a second, we're going to stand and come to the altar. But, but just for a moment, would you just lift your hands and would you give Jesus thanks and praise that He's so good. He's so merciful. He can actually catch up to you if you're walking the wrong way and making the wrong decision. It's your fault. He'll still catch up with you and he'll minister to you today. I worship you, Jesus. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. So powerful, so beautiful. The presence of God. He's here right now the same Jesus that caught up with two disciples and they didn't recognize him, he's here right now. But the difference is we do recognize him. We honor him that he's here. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message spoke into your life, your heart, or whatever situation you may be going through. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at lifechurch.ca on Instagram, and on Facebook, search Life Church, and you will find our navy blue logo with the letters LC in the middle. We thank you for your support, and love you all. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.